Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. We have with us a very special guest right now, State Treasurer, North Carolina State Treasurer, that is Dale Falwell, joining us. He also announced his candidacy for governor. We've got several topics to cover with him today. We appreciate him being a part of the broadcast. Dale, welcome to the show, and how are you today, sir? Fantastic. And Chad, thank you for having me, and look forward to visiting with your listeners. Absolutely. Now, a lot's been happening kind of in your orbit and, and, and a lot of people won't necessarily connect you with the first topic I'm going to bring to your attention, but that's the Silicon Valley Bank takeover by First Citizens. First Citizens, a North Carolina-based bank, their stock jumped about uh, 50%. You know, when the takeover was announced, it's kind of settled in a little bit. But this is a big takeover with several implications. It'll make them one of the 20 largest banks in the nation. Uh, it's a troubled bank they took over, so there's some intricacies there. So how is the state treasurer concerned about this, and what are the implications for folks here in the in the state? Well, it's it's a great question, and uh, you're fading in and out, but I hope you can hear me uh, properly. Uh, in you sound great. The, in, in terms of the First Citizens Bank, uh, one of the duties and responsibilities of the state treasurer is uh, as the, the chairman of the board of the State Banking Commission. <clears throat> Not just as the keeper of the public purse, and as chairman of the board, uh, we uh, over the board oversees the uh, North Carolina Commissioner of Banks with Commissioner Boskin and her staff, who have been working tirelessly over the last six weeks regarding the banking crisis in general. Uh, we regulate 36 state chartered banks, some that your listeners have obviously heard of: BB&T, Truist, <coughs> First Citizens Bank, and and First Bank. Uh, as well as 33 others. And this uh, announcement that was made earlier this week is a sign of strength. It's a sign of the conservative uh, banking philosophies that we have in North Carolina. It's a sign that First Citizens Bank, during all this crisis over the last five weeks, was able to look in the mirror and say, yes, we have our own house in order in terms of our depositors and our liabilities, and yes, we have the strength to partner with FDIC to take over Silicon Valley Bank. This is fantastic news um, for First Citizens Bank. It's shareholders, uh, a credit to its management team, and it's going to be great news for the state of North Carolina, especially uh, in talking to folks in Charlotte today, because it, I think, cements North Carolina as the second largest banking center in the United States behind New York. And certainly Charlotte, a lot of Charlotte's fortunes built in that in that financial sector, and this is just adding to the the entire field in North Carolina, so to speak. Not just Charlotte, but but across across the entire state, it's becoming more and more of a a banking capital. I mean, like you said, second in the nation after this is complete, correct? That's a, that's exactly right. Now, I would like to have be a fly on the wall uh, when you take the uh, conservative. Uh, uh, philosophy of first of a first citizens bank and combine it with the uh you know swashbuckling philosophy of silicon valley bank but i just want to remind all of your listeners of something i think they already know and the people of uh california are getting ready to learn just because we don't just because we talk with an accent doesn't mean that we think with one <laughs> 
that's, it's one of those when you write that book of dalisms that you know certainly it's going to be it's going to be full. You have a plethora of them. I, I've heard them over the years. That was that's a great one. Now another area that you have your area, the state treasurer's office has presided over is the local government commission. This is not well known amongst the citizenry out there, but every city and county government agency uh, has to deal with that because under your leadership, they are the ones that review all the bond issuances, all of the debt for local governments. And you've got a big meeting coming up in the Wilmington area, but it kind of tells because that's unusual, at least from my perspective, what's going on with the LGC? Why are we going down to Wilmington? Well, the reason we're going to Wilmington is that last year we took the LGC out of Raleigh, North Carolina, for I think the first time in its history, decades history. Uh, and last year we went to uh, Terrell County, uh, to the 4-H camp there, because we wanted the LGC to actually visit uh, one of the, on a per capita basis, one of the lowest income counties in North Carolina and understand the challenges that places like Terrell County are going through. You know, Chairman Everett, who I think you know there, uh, is a, a great leader of that county, as well as many other commissioners and staff. Uh, they say that there are less people in Terrell County than there possibly are at Broughton High School, Myers Park High School, or West Forsyth High School. The wow. chairman <clears throat> says that there's a possibility that they got more bears than people. And the reason I'm kind of going through this with you is that we wanted the LGC to go to them instead of them having to go to us uh, to see how hard they're struggling. <laughs> they just finally they got out. They finally they hardly recovered from 9/11 when they were hit with the great financial crisis. They hardly recovered from the great financial crisis when they were hit with COVID, where they saw their county sales tax revenue fall 26 percent. Then we crisscrossed the state last fall and did it at Western Carolina University. Uh, and then this year, <clears throat> we're crisscrossing the state again with Wilmington uh, next week, and then we're going to do it in Boone in October. So this is sort of taking the LGC on the road. And uh, we didn't have a lot of participation in Western Carolina, but we're uh, convinced by the chancellor that we're going to have a lot of student participation uh, people who are interested in public service and getting their degrees in public policy. Uh, we hope that we'll have a lot of students there at that uh, event next Wednesday, at, and, uh, and, they can, and then we're going to have a Q&A with the students afterwards with myself, Alter Beth Wood, and Secretary of State Elaine Marshall. Now, with respect to the LGC, if folks don't realize it's not the you know it's some big organization that's crushing local governments and controlling them. It's actually a second set of eyes to make sure that they are doing their due diligence on and their fiduciary responsibility in the way in which they run city and county government. Because we've seen them get in trouble. We saw Spring Lake get in trouble. We've seen uh, Roanoke Rapids and cities like that get in trouble before. And the LGC is kind of the the way to to prevent these cities and counties. Uh, if they, 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 hey, you still have a right to be poorly run, but when you're using taxpayer dollars, at least there's a stopgap that'll prevent it from going off the cliff. Exactly right. And uh, there's only 37 people that work at the local government commission, but we regulate over 1,200 entities. That's 100 counties, 548 cities, water and sewer district, airport authorities, universities, and hospitals, for example. And as you said, and you properly teed this up for me, Chad, as you always do, we're not conquerors. We're rescuers. That is our role at the Local Government Commission. And and it has been. And it's been 
uh, one of the, the saving graces of, of local government, having been a former commissioner and looking at that and learning about it, it was it was a fascinating endeavor years ago. Now, Dale, we're, we're gonna we're gonna. I, I want to ask you very quickly about the state health care plan, and probably that will dovetail us into the next segment a little bit about that. But you have been tired of not getting answers from people like Blue Cross Blue Shield that were, were the administrators for the plan. You've uh, been tired and frustrated as a legislator and then as the treasurer with respect to these hospital cartels that don't give us clarity and, and, and continue to escalate their billing and, and with no answers in sight. I've attended a conference, several conferences since then about what's happening in healthcare in America. In the next hour or so, we'll be talking about the mess that is healthcare in this country. And, and excuse me, healthcare is good. The health uh, administration side, the cost side of it is insane. So uh, on the other side of the break, you'll be ready to talk about those things and your announcement? Oh, absolutely. And just to tease this in, none of your listeners consume health care. It consumes them. Dale Falwell, treasurer for the, state of North, for the state of North Carolina, also an announced gubernatorial candidate for the GOP nomination to challenge Josh Stein and whoever else joins on the Democrat side, whoever that nominee may be. Right now, though, I want to circle back around to the hospital situation. Dale Falwell has been a warrior on the front lines of, of the healthcare cost fight for years, taking on the most powerful lobby, the lobby that can crush the NCGA and make them expand Medicaid, but just trying to get answers. And it led to one of the largest, what, what people said it could never happen. And by sheer force of will, he and his team were able to, to finally get Blue Cross Blue Shield out of managing the state health care and go with a different option because they just weren't getting answers. So, Dale, how is that going? And tell us uh, what, what's happened as you've switched things over or in well, the process number, of switching things number, over. Yeah. Number one, let's, uh, let's address this uh, uh, in a way that uh, will, will make those that teach, protect, and serve uh, even more confident that we're watching their pennies and their paper clips. We set up a very public process that we put this contract out for bid, you know, which, by the way, Charlotte, this County of Mecklenburg, state, everybody who represents taxpayers should always be driving toward getting the highest value for the lowest cost with the highest margin of safety, whether it's investment fees or, or health care services. Uh, we put this uh, out for bid, and Blue Cross Blue Shield had had this contract for 44 years. Now, as a former motorcycle mechanic, I like to put things in mechanical terms <coughs> for your listeners. We have not changed, Chad, as you know, the body of the plan. The body is the State Health Plan Board, <coughs> which is made up of appointees of the governor, the president, pro tem, the speaker, and myself. The body has not changed. The body sets the premiums, which we have frozen for five years. The body sets the deductibles, which we have frozen. The body sets the copays. <clears throat> the body makes decisions like we made recently, uh, to, three years ago, actually, to eliminate the cost of insulin because of what was happening uh, on insulin prices. We have not changed the engine of this car. The engine is the uh, employees who fund the plan through their premiums and their employer, mainly the General Assembly, who puts money in the plan on their behalf. <coughs> All we did is change the transmission. And Blue Cross has been the transmission of this plan for 44 years. When the uh, process was uh, transparent and when we went through the process, uh, Adno was the top scorer. And I was speaking to the Motorcycle Dealers Association annual meeting the other day at the Aloft Hotel. 
Now, I can't afford to stay there because, as your listeners know, I'm a platinum member of the Econo Lodge. So staying at a fancy <laughs> place like the uh, Loft Hotels probably not in my budget. But as I was on the seventh floor talking to the great employers across North Carolina, Motorcycle Dealers Association, I pointed out to the right-hand side, and I said, that's where Blue Cross is headquartered. And then I pointed at about 2 o'clock, and I said, that's where Duke University is. Guess who Duke University uses for their transmission? Aetna, not Blue Cross. Wow. Then I pointed at 12 o'clock, and I said, and there's where the city of Durham is. Guess who they use for their transmission? Aetna, not Blue Cross. <clears throat> then I pointed at three at nine o'clock and I said, There's the county of Durham and guess who they don't use for their transmission? Blue Cross. So my point of giving you your listeners comfort about this is that this company that supposedly just parachuted in here and got the biggest uh third party administrative contract in forty four years uh is ridiculous. The three biggest employers in Durham, North Carolina, do not use their hometown transmission, which is Blue Cross Blue Shield. So we are looking forward to our relationship with Aetna. We think it's going to get us toward the transparency that we deserve, which we think ultimately with CON reform will enable us to actually lower health care costs, push the power to the consumer, and that's the only way that we're going to be able to break the health care cartel in our state. And Blue Cross Blue Shield, by the way, just to add to it, was unable or unwilling to ever provide any transparency with respect to what. So ultimately, all the money that you're spending to cover these hospital bills is state taxpayer dollars. You were just trying to say, hey, how much am I spending on knee replacements? How much am I spending on shoulders or gastric bypass, whatever it is? And they're giving you all these excuses and giving you just a total bill to pay and you were begging, asking, and then over the past two years, their management team, and, and I know a little bit about this, has been unable to reform or provide transparency, and now they're upset that you're switching the plan. Uh, they had ample yeah. opportunity to come to the table, and they just didn't. Well, you know, so. we, we renewed this contract a few years ago, and I said, this is not a renewing of our vows. This is a resetting of our relationship. And uh, obviously, they're chapped about this. They're going to sue till they're blue. Uh, because they want to create as much misinformation no and, and chaos as they possibly can. I'm very disappointed because I was on a Zoom call with the CEO and the chairman after this happened, and uh, I was encouraged by what the chairman said. and said, listen, uh, this may be an opportunity for us to look inward and see how we can improve, and maybe we'll get stronger and come back and get this business back. I mean, that's the North Carolina spirit, not the CEO's right. spirit of cleats high. And uh, and sue to your blue, but that's the that's the situation we're in. Uh, the other comforting thing for your listeners is that uh, Aetna has twice as many employees in North Carolina as Blue Cross does. And the second thing I think they would be interested in is that uh, Aetna had 600 people on our account uh, within a, a few days of when this was announced. Wow! This goes into effect two years from now. It's a big long runway. I've made all the Aetna executives get a tattoo on their forearm, and it says simply <laughs> this, no room for error. I want them to be obsessed with customer service because when, you only, when all you do is change a transmission in a car, the people should be able to get in that car, turn the key on, and drive away like they always have, and that's what we're fully expecting out of Aetna two years from now. 
Well, I, I tell you what, it, it's been kind of a trying time. You have not only taken on changing the state and updating and making the state health care plan better, but you've taken on the powerful hospital lobby in our state, a hospital lobby that that doesn't seem to have any willingness to uh, negotiate, a hospital lobby that feels like they own what you mentioned certificate of need a minute ago. That's a topic I've addressed here on this show, and so is Pete Callender. Uh, we're, it's, an, it's a regressive way of preventing competition in healthcare. The hospital association doesn't want it changed, doesn't want it altered. Uh, this new Medicaid expansion alters it slightly, but then you get Medicaid expansion with it. So it seems like they operate the state of North Carolina, while not being fiscally uh, caring about our citizens or what things cost. Now, I need to take a break here, Dale. With us, Dale Falwell, treasurer for the state of North Carolina, gubernatorial candidate announced. Dale, I have to ask you a couple questions about this this hospital situation. You've challenged them. You've taken them on. Uh, the, the billing is absurd. The profits are enormous. And, and we have great doctors and we have great nurses, as is often the case. Whenever anybody criticizes health care, uh, they 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 tend to accuse them of, of going after doctors and nurses, but we have a horrific billing system. It is out of control. We are being consumed by it. I went to a presentation this morning on this. It's unbelievable. So where do you think this goes? Well, where I think it goes is that uh, it's obvious the lawmakers or the attorney general who's supposed to be actually protecting the consumers of this state are not going to do anything about this. Uh but the choir is starting to sing louder, and they're all singing not only from the same hymn, but also they're harmonizing. Uh, we had a medical debt deweaponization panel the other day down in Charlotte with uh, County Commissioner uh, Pat Cotham, I guess one of the largest vote-getters in the history of Mecklenburg County, uh, uh, Dr. Reverend, Dr. Reverend Woods from First Baptist Church of Atlanta, I mean of Charlotte, uh, Mayor Anarella, and, uh, and then the Dr. Uh, ahead of the MAC of NAACP, and everybody was talking about the impact that medical debt and weaponizing people's debt and putting liens on, on their houses was having on individuals. So at the end of the day, it's just important to realize that everyone knows that something is wrong. And uh, I think anybody who is not willing to partner with us to bring sunshine to the health care cost, a... a uh, equalization of the billions of dollars of tax benefit versus the uh, the uh, charity care that they offer. Stop breaking people's kneecaps for not paying their bills. And for God's sake, if you make millions of dollars in a nonprofit, have the courage to tell people how much you make. Uh, well said. Now let's turn our attention to you running for governor. You've been a school board member. You've been a legislator. You've been a very effective state treasurer. And, you know, the governor's race wide open. Roy Cooper out of office at the end of next year. He's term limited out. We know that Josh Stein, the sitting attorney general, is the aspiring governor for the Democrats. I think you're the first person to get into the race officially for governor on the Republican side. Uh, what made you come to this decision? And uh, tell us a little bit about why you did, why you decided to run, basically. I had a very well-respected uh, person from my party who a few months ago uh, said the following, you are running for governor. And I said, <laughs> uh, and I said, was that a question? And he said, you know damn well that wasn't a question. <laughs> that was a statement. And it started me thinking about uh, my public service career. And as I, you know, think about uh, – you know, we all want to look back and say, was that what I meant to do? And my time in Raleigh has been focused on saving lives, saving minds, and saving money. 
I was very successful in doing that in the minority party under Speaker Black, Hackney, uh, President Bassanite, and Governor Easley and Purdue with 21 major pieces of legislation and no vetoes, all with conservative principles. You know, the root word of conservative is to conserve. And I found that during my time in Raleigh, and you've witnessed this <coughs> since we've known each other, Chad, that if you find a way to save a life or mind or money, you know, people will respond. And uh, you can be a conservative uh, without attacking people. And you can be conservative by just and, and focus on attacking problems. And I think the reason that in the last two presidential elections that I got more votes from the bottom of the ballot the treasurer's one of the last races on the front page of the ballot. They got more votes than uh, even the president of the United States as people just want to be spoken to like adults, and what they hear makes common sense. Finally, the governor is the root word of governor is to govern. It's a verb. The governor of North Carolina is the largest, is the CEO of the largest business in this state, and I'm uniquely qualified to do that. Now, you, you mentioned something a moment ago about with respect to your your time in Raleigh, your time making things better and, and changing things. A lot of times the governor, the, those candidates tend to rely on a great deal of charisma. They tend to rely on flashy things. They, they want to get that attention. You know, you're not, I've known you for a long time. You're not a flashy guy. Like I said, I, look, I've, heard, I've seen you pull out a coupon for dinner before. I, I do it, but I, you know, you are a very down to earth candidate. Do you believe in today's fast paced social media, instant response, knee jerk reactionary world that a, a very direct response like you, a very low key, candidate can run for the office of governor and get the kind of attention to to be that recognized candidate i think that people are sick and tired of the drama and i say this not politically or emotionally but mathematically the majority of people in north carolina are not connected with either political party they think the left and the right are connected to the same bird and all they do is just fly around and keep people divided the fact is, what people want, as I said earlier, is for, to be spoken to like adults, and what they hear makes common sense. And they also want what I think I've given them as the keeper of the public purse. I've been the best state treasurer money can't buy, and I'll be the best governor that money can't buy also. Now, I, I've known you for many years, and, and I, I know the way in which you have governed that office. When you look ahead as governor, it's a very different role. It, 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 in some ways, it's the same, you know. But at the same time, it's the executive for the state, like you said, the CEO for the largest organization in the state. What are the things you would like to accomplish? Were you to be the governor of the state of North Carolina? Well, number one, let's start with transparency and uh, any executive orders. Uh, that were in existence when I was sworn in. Uh, they would be repealed the first day that I was the governor. And then we would, as quickly as possible, convene the Council of State and having it, have an open, transparent deliberation about these important matters that may rise to the level of an executive order. Now, let's be clear. We're not talking about whether we can overload our trucks to get the crops out of a field because a hurricane's coming. <clears throat> We're talking about serious issues where we shut down the economy at a snap of a finger, where 100%, 50% of our food was going to restaurants and 50% was going to grocery stores. And by the way, no food comes from restaurants or grocery stores. It comes from a farm. 
and at a snap of a finger shut down our economy, shut down our schools, and all these other things. So day one, it starts with transparency and good governance. And it starts with uh, exhausting or, or eliminating all the executive orders on day one and very quickly looking at those executive orders to see if any of those need to be refreshed for the best interest of the citizens. And by doing so, we would have a council of state meeting where people would actually be able to deliberate these these issues instead of getting given one hour to to uh, to consider them. Uh, the second thing that uh, that we would do is is that we would focus on what I think is the next challenge of the of the next governor of North Carolina. Now, Chad, I said to you six and a half, seven years ago, whoever the next state treasurer was was going to make the generational difference in the future of our state for mathematical reasons. And none of us could have predicted COVID six and a half years ago. <clears throat> but as you can, I hope, attest, nothing has been truer. What has happened at the state treasurer's office and what I predicted would happen, forgetting about COVID, has made the generational difference in the future of our state, starting with the fact that because of the taxpayers and the, the discipline of the General Assembly, past and present, we were designated number one in the country for business outlook and business expansion. And what I'm telling you and I'm telling your listeners today is very simply this. The next governor of North Carolina is going to have to figure out when and how to protect ourselves from the federal government. The federal government's appetite for debt that's resulting in runaway inflation, higher interest rates, a thief, the thievery of money from especially low and fixed income people, driving up interest rates, driving down bond prices, partly responsible for the banking crisis that we're in. It doesn't matter how much money or how disciplined we are in North Carolina. If the the federal government continues to have the appetite for money that it has had, we're going to have to figure out how to protect our citizens from that addiction. Well, our guest has been Dale Falwell. He is currently the state treasurer for the state of North Carolina. I've known him for many years. He's announced he's running for governor on the Republican side, would be a contender for that. Obviously, some other folks are probably going to get in that race. But, uh, Dale, thank you for being a part of the show today. Well, thank you. And all this uh, previous information about the hospitals and First Citizens Bank and and Silicon Valley Bank and and all these topics about the pension plans can be found at nctreasure.com. And don't forget, as listeners, we still have one billion, that's a billion dollars, sitting at nccash.com. I spoke to two people this week, had $500,000 there. Four weeks ago, signed two checks for $1.7 million out of nccash.com, one to a business, one to a individuals. So uh, all your listeners should go to nccash.com. And if you're listening to this broadcast from other states, Curtis Loftus has the equivalent in South Carolina. Go to all the states that you may have lived in to see if you've got some unclaimed cash. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. American made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. Obviously, the uh, another candidate likely will be in the race will be Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. A big difference in the background and experiences of those two candidates. It'll be interesting to see how that shapes up. 
uh, Dale doesn't tend to run these uh, highly funded campaigns. It's amazing the number of votes he gets relative to the amount of money he spends. I, his fiscal conservative way of being, it, it just that's the way he is. Mark Robinson's relying on you know kind of the the stardom that he's achieved as lieutenant governor, being very outspoken and and clearly Josh Stein, the presumptive nominee for the Democrats, would like to run. He's much more interested in running against Mark Robinson than Dale Falwell. It would be a very different campaign for him. Now, if you want to get in on the conversation, give us a call, 704-570-1110. And the reason I hadn't reached out to Mark is he's not a declared candidate. If he would, I would have invited him on the show. Pete would. Everybody would. 704-570-1110, 570-1110 here at News Talk 1110-993. And some interesting developments. Um, well, let's see. Oh, okay. They, we appreciate the calls. By the way, apparently folks have called in, didn't want to get on the show, but we appreciate you guys calling in to, to say things and, and keep keep us in your thoughts. So apparently what's happened, uh, very strange happenings in Nashville, Tennessee right now, and there was a, a rally. Protesters got over there. Kids were let out of school, and a, there was a vigil in Nashville. There were, you know, it's it's kind of, but it's interesting. It's a vigil with a political purpose, and it's a it's a specific purpose about red flag laws. Uh, Joe Biden showed up to the vigil, and and then at some point something happened, and they kind of stormed the Capitol. They stormed the Capitol, the state of Tennessee, and it got noisy. It got a little crazy. There's film clips. They stormed into the rotunda. Uh, it, it was cleared of protesters around 1130. And that was 11.30 Eastern time, so 12.30 while we were on the air. A five-minute recess then took longer. It took 50 minutes to get remaining protesters to leave the rotunda. At one point, protesters in the rotunda were holding up fingers and uh, for the six victims killed. Uh, Belmont University student Amelia Gould said legislators were being asked about gun legislation, and they were smiling and smirking at us. Again, that's the way in which the Tennessean is reporting this. And hundreds of protesters did go outside the legislative plaza Thursday. They were going to march on the grounds, but it got a little crazier. Funneled down into single file line, about 200 people managed to get through security at the Capitol, into the Capitol building, and went on from there. So, But it's different when they do it, right? Because they're screaming at them. So what they want, and the protesters want the laws changed instantly right now. The red flag laws will stop this. What would have stopped the shooting? And that's one of the... The most difficult aspects of, of all of this is that people, again, as I started the show, people want to believe that you can't comport the actions of nuts. You can't take those actions and have them make sense. When Timothy McVeigh takes out a building with a bomb, you can't make sense of it. When, when the Jonestown massacre takes place, it doesn't make sense. The senseless violence that happens every day in many of our inner cities we, it kind of stays out of sight, out of mind. We, hundreds of people killed. Every ever, a couple of, maybe a week or so, the number of people killed is staggering. There's no, but nobody tends to get, I mean, there are children that get gunned down in the streets all over this country. But when it happens in a school, I, it, it sets things in motion that are a great crisis upon, look, if you're, if you're a, Saul Alinsky rules for radical. If you read these kind of books, if you've read them, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. It's kind of the seminal thing in a Saul Alinsky book. Never let, whenever there's a crisis, a crisis, crisis is the number one way to advance a cause, especially for the political left. It's the number one way. Obamacare 
was addressing things. And Obamacare ultimately did not fix anything. In fact, is your health care cheaper? Was it, is, is it more affordable than it was? The Affordable Care Act didn't make it more affordable? No, it didn't. Insurance rates have gone through the flipping roof. They're going up 5, 10, 20, 22%. Companies are being eaten alive by their ability to make profits is being diminished. You wonder why people's salaries aren't higher. It's because a massive amount, $22,000 per year, is going to cover health care for them. And, and a lot of you don't realize that most of these companies, any company that has over 300 employees or so, that's about the break, the, the line, is what's called self-insured or self-funded, meaning you don't really, you may have that insurance card, but you're really not. The company has to take any profits and put it in a pool of money to provide health care for that company. It's administered. It looks like a, an insurance, but it's really not. It's the company paying for it out of pocket. It's insane. We have no idea where we're paying for health care. So affordable health care didn't fix that. These massive government programs didn't fix things. Expanding Medicaid, the obscene, the obscene and absurd nature of expanding Medicaid. Anybody who voted for it, great. You have six. You're taking pride in six hundred thousand more people being in a government program. That's not something to celebrate or be thrilled about. Even worse, is it going to be more efficiently run ten years from now? No. Is it going to be more effective ten years from now? Five years from now? A year from now? No. Will it cost less or be less wasteful? No. There was nothing in the legislation that will make Medicaid more accountable for the taxpayer dollars it spends. Nothing. Zero. Zip. Nada. Zero. Just nothing. And that's the major problem. This, it, you know, what will make people out so they pass massive gun legislation and then another shooting takes place. What will you have accomplished? We have mental health issues. We have serious loss of community, but the left uses every every crisis. If a bank fails, then they're going to put more regulations. They're going to stymie the freedom. They're going to, it, it's an attack on freedom. And that's just the, the sad reality, the optics of where we are. And the left capital, because they know that once more common sense prevails, they won't be able to advance the cause. It's hard to advance the cause when you're calm, isn't it? It's hard to make, if you can manufacture a crisis, then that's when things happen. If you can make a crisis, then you have, they've learned, they've learned that lesson well. We can take away more freedoms if we can create a crisis. Now, none of that is to say what happened in Nashville is acceptable. It's not. But there were plenty. It looks like there were some signs. This was a, a troubled individual. There were people that knew this was a troubled individual. It looks like the manifesto is going to be about, I don't know, but there are allegations and assertions that it's a, a breakup gone bad. Clearly, the trans issue here, the media wants to downplay that, not talk about the mental health implications of this particular trans situation. There are problems. Can't sweep them under the rug. You can try, but that doesn't solve the problem. Instead, you blame something else. Third hour, getting ready to be in the way. Join us. Stick to us. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Counter. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. 